This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. So John chapter 19, starting at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gebatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Um, Yes, very, very excited to to be here today. Um, My name's Geraint, Geraint, um, (laughs) Gerwint. Anything with confidence will do. Um, And uh, we we, we do need need God's help as as we come to open his word here. So, so let me pray now. Heavenly Father, we, we long now that you would teach us through your word. Um, there, there may be things in our, in our minds 
in life that are distracting us, that are pulling at us. Help us to, to shake them off, be it tiredness, distraction, uh, pride, our own sin, all these things. Father, help us to shake them off, we ask, so that we may look to your Son and that we may behold him, behold the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray these things for your glory. Amen. Um, watching films. I don't know if you have a, an approach when it comes to watching films. I have an approach to watching films. And it, uh, it started from when um, I got hurt as a six-year-old watching Toy Story 2. Um, <clears throat> my approach to watching films now is I always try to suss out who the bad guy is. Who is the, and I, I try to do it from, I'm often wrong. Who is the bad guy? You know, you've got, in Monsters, Inc., I was hurt with that film as well, where you've got Mr. Waternoose at the end being the bad guy. But I, I do remember this day quite vividly, watching Toy Story 2 with my family, um, with my mum, all tucked under a blanket, the four of us kids, mum probably asleep. And turning on Toy Story 2, I, I, I had never had this feeling before, this feeling of, um, to be frank, betrayal, okay? Because <laughs> what you've got in that film is you've got Woody, and he's happy as Larry, and he's, he's with Slinky, he's with Buzz, he's with Potato Heads, he's with Bo Peep, and he gets kidnapped by Al from Al's Toy Barn. And all hope looks lost. It was a bad day for six-year-old Geraint. But Woody meets the Roundup gang, doesn't he? Jesse, Bullseye, Stinky Pete. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> he meets the Roundup gang. And with that, we see a sort of change in the film. He's left his whole life behind. He's got some new friends. He might never see this old lot again. That's the subplot. But he's got, he's got some new friends. Things are looking a bit better. And Stinky Pete... <laughs> I didn't choose his name, I promise. <laughs> Stinky Pete convinces Woody to join them uh, as, they, as they embark on a sort of journey to Tokyo to be a part of a museum so that they never get hurt again, so that they never get left at the park, they never get forgotten they're in this museum, and they're never lost again. And they're at the airport. They're at the airport, and we see Buzz. And Buzz is coming towards them. And Slinky, too. And, the ra- and, and they're calling Woody to come back. And Woody's got a way back to Andy's house, hasn't he? And we're thinking, brilliant. And Woody turns to the Roundup gang and says, come with me, come and join me. And Jesse says yes. And Bullseye says nothing. But he says yes. And Stinky Pete, it's revealed, was the one earlier in the film to scupper Woody's escape plan. He was the one who turned on the, turned on the TV, waking up Al and scuppering Woody's escape plan. And from that day, I have made it my mission, every film, to try to figure out who the bad guy is. Also, sort of a, a side 
thing from that film is never to trust anyone with the forename Stinky, really. <laughs> There's a bit of a clue there, isn't there? But unfortunately for us, here in John 19, we don't have a Stinky pilot. There's not a massive clue. There's not a massive clue that's shouting out to us. But that, that question is the one that I want you to think about. Who is to blame? In this story, in, in John 19 here, who is to blame? We've got Jesus on trial, and we know ultimately that he goes to the cross. So who is to blame? We'll look at three suspects. We'll look at the, the soldiers, we'll look at Pilate, and we'll look at the, the Jewish leaders. And for these three suspects, we'll look at two pieces of evidence and one irony for each of these three suspects. I'm calling it three points. The mathematically minded of you will say it's nine points. I'm not being greedy. They are sub points. So firstly, the soldiers. The first piece of evidence, who is to blame? Could it be the soldiers? First piece of evidence, their cruel flogging. Look with me at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers are ordered to flog Jesus, to have him whipped. Right, now, famously sort of growing up for me, um, and it's, it's funny because I, I've married someone who is equally horrific with anything um, medical. Um, Rachel can't make it through war horse uh, without sort of... Gosh, I can't look at that. But famously for me, when the theme tune to Casualty would, would ring in the house, I would turn purple. Because having watched it one day, some guy was trying to climb over one of those fences, you know, with the spikes at the top. I don't need to go to the, the to extent of explaining what happened. I turned purple. That's the effect that I had reading some of the commentaries about what the flogging was like. I, I found myself I found myself reading the commentaries and, and, and needing to needing to take a break, needing to, to come away from it, needing to put the book down because of how heavy it was, because of how gruesome it was. I found myself almost reading through the crisscross of my fingers because of how cruel this flogging to Jesus was. And I think for us it's it's perhaps easy to to hear this story, a story that we may be quite familiar with of Jesus being flogged, and, and having that reaction of being a bit numb to it because we're familiar. But with Jesus, what, what happened in these floggings, and it is gruesome, is that a, wood, a small wooden dowel, probably an inch and a half in diameter, and driven into the end of the dowel were strips, leather strips. And on the end of the strips were attached pieces of, of metal, sharp pieces of metal, and sharp bones of dead animals on the ends of, of these leather strips. And you've got the soldiers who, on one side, would whip him, and the other soldier would whip him. They would be whipping him in tandem. They would get relief, but Jesus wouldn't. The individual wouldn't. It wasn't unusual for 
the individual after flogging to not make it to the end. It wasn't unusual for the individual to die just as a result of the, the flogging alone. This is a, a direct quote. Um, it's not a nice one. It's a, it's a direct quote from one of the commentaries. The body was at times torn and lacerated to such an extent that deep-seated veins and arteries, sometimes even inner organs, were exposed. Now, what we've got here isn't, you know, being sent to the head teacher's office, being caned. Jesus was flogged. That's what we've got here. And we, we shouldn't be numb to it. We shouldn't be familiar with this story. We should be looking at this story through the crisscross of our fingers, gutted for our, our Lord Jesus Christ. So the soldiers and their flogging. And what we have next is, is mocking, that the soldiers begin to mock Jesus. I'm a, um, a primary school teacher. I'm not too unfamiliar with being mocked by children. Um, they tend to mock anything. Um, you know, even things that you think, I've had a haircut, I look sharp. Ha, you had a haircut. Yes, I did. And I look better than I did yesterday. Brilliant. Um, you know, you get a qu- we do this thing in maths where, I promise it's deliberate, we call it marvellous mistakes. It's to sort of challenge their misconceptions. And you put a mistake up on the board and they flipping love it. You know, you, you, know, you do two plus two equals five and they, oh, you've made a mistake deliberately because you're all silly. But they love to mock you. They love to sit there going, oh, <laughs> Mr. Davis is such an idiot, isn't he? And then I have the last laugh because I've put them in detention. <laughs> Take that. But mocking can be far more, far more severe than that, can't it? That's pretty severe, mocking. But, but some of you may experience mocking in your workplaces, mocking about being a Christian, mocking from, from bosses. But the mocking that we see here, found in verses 2 to 3. So look with me. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. We've got a mock coronation. Jesus is on trial because he's claimed to be king. That's why he's on trial. The soldiers, after flogging Jesus with his back beard, have made a crown of thorns. A crown of thorns. Thick thorns that when placed on Christ's head, the blood would begin to pour down his brow. He's crowned. He's king. The soldiers, you know, you, you get to the point where the soldiers have beaten this guy sen- senseless. And they're happy to have fun with him. Happy to push him around and, and joke at him. And they say to one another, have you got, have you got that purple robe? <laughs> Let's put a purple robe on him as well. Let's put one from the, the high-ranking officials. And Matthew's gospel adds that Jesus was given a reed as well. So here, we've got this mock coronation. Christ with the blood dripping from the crown of thorns. 
with the purple robe sticking to his back because it's exposed after the flogging. And with his arm barely able to hold up this scepter. That's what we've got going on here. And notice, it's it's translated really well in the NIV. Notice verses 2 and 3. They went up to him again and again. The tense there is that it happens again and again. Again and again. Again and again. They kept on doing it. Kept on slapping him, spitting at him. Kept kneeling before him, pretending that he was the king, mocking him. You know, do, you ever, do you ever watch TV and think, why, why is it that Jesus is, Jesus' name is a swear word? Why is it that Jesus' name is a swear word? Why aren't, why aren't we using Buddha? Why aren't we using Muhammad? Because they went up to him again and again. In a sense, Christ is being crucified again and again and again and again. Christ was mocked over and over again. So to those of you who are in in toxic work environments, remember that you have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with you. You know, when you're in school or in your workplaces and Maybe you've invited someone to, to a sheer life event or told someone about what you've been doing for Media Fast and you've been the butt of the jokes. You've been the one who's been the outcast for, for the week. You've been the one who doesn't fit in. You have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with you, who knows what it's like to be mocked. So bring him your pain. Bring him your petitions. He understands and he listens. So the soldiers, having mocked, having flogged, there's an irony with them as well. So you've got the blood pouring down Christ's face, his back sticking to the robe. What do they say to Jesus? Verse 3, Hail, King of the Jews. The soldiers have no idea, do they? Absolutely no idea the truth of what they've said, and the depth of that truth. Hail, King of the Jews. They intend it as an insult, but it is profoundly true that Christ is to be hailed, is to be worshipped, and he is the King of his people. Before them lies a broken, beaten, bruised, battered man. Before them lies Jesus, the King of his people. Before them lies the one to whom belongs the crown of crowns, the one who sits on the throne. Before them lies the one who made all things. Before them lies the one who made the branches that the soldiers took to make a crown of thorns. Before them lies the one who sustained life in that tree and he knew that tree would become his headpiece. But he sustained life in that tree. Before them lies the king of the Jews. And went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. 
and they slapped him in the face. So who's to blame? Is it the soldiers? Are they cruel flogging, intense mockery of Christ? Possibly soldiers. Next, we'll look at Pilate. First piece of evidence that we're looking at for Pilate is his spineless convictions. Spineless convictions. So let's, let's look again at verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. It was Pilate who ordered this flogging. And that's quite an interesting thing in itself. Because look, just, just a moment earlier, look at verse 38 of the previous chapter. Verse 38. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. It's strange treatment, isn't it? It's really strange treatment. I find no basis for a charge against him, and yet Pilate is the one who ordered the flogging. His conviction is I find no basis for a charge against him, and yet he is the one who ordered it. We see the same, same conviction, the same refrain, the same words on Pilate's lips again in verse 4. Look with me. Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. Verse 6. You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. I find no basis for a charge against him. I find no basis for a charge against him. I find no basis for a charge against him. It's a pretty weak argument as a, um, as a primary school teacher if I'm charging a child with detention and then their parent says, why has my child got detention? And I say, I found no basis for a charge against him. I should try it really, shouldn't I? I should have tried it really, shouldn't I? That would have been brilliant. I have tried it really. <laughs> I, can't, I can't find anything he did. That's what Pilate says. I can't find anything he did. I find no basis for a charge against him. Have him flogged. Don't you wish Pilate had the, the courage to, to go with his convictions? To have that, I find no basis for a charge against him. So crowd, off you go. Off you go. This man is not guilty of what you've said. I find no basis for a charge against him. He's free. Off you go. Don't you wish that Pilate had snubbed the crowd and went with Christ? That he'd snub the crowd and went with Christ? Don't you wish that you would snub the world and go with Christ? What are the world shouting? How are the world shouting to crucify, crucify, crucify Christ over and over and over again? What are the world preaching at you to do? Are you going to have the courage of your convictions? Or are you going to be like Pilate? Are you going to snub the crowd and go with Christ? I need to hear that. Snub the world and go with Christ. The crowd, the world is screaming loudly, crucify him, crucify him. Today, the world is screaming, have sex before marriage. Snub the world. Today, the world is screaming, find satisfaction in your job, in your workplace. Work, 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 work. If you build up this pool of money, this pot of money, 
you will find satisfaction. Snub the world. Snub the world's message and go with Christ. When the world are preaching that you should identify as they, them, z, zay, snub the world. Go with Christ. Find your satisfaction in Christ. Find your joy in Christ. So we've seen Pilate's spineless conviction. Second piece of evidence. Pilate seeks to induce pity, but only evokes fury. Second half of verse 4 to verse 5. I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Here we have Pilate presenting Jesus to the crowd. His song is the same old song. I find no basis for a charge against him. The exact same as what he'd been saying before. It's interesting. Why does Pilate bring Jesus out? we've, We've talked about how Jesus might look. Yeah? I can't really go into detail because I'll turn purple here. But Pilate decides, I'm going to bring Jesus out so that the crowd, that the Jewish leaders see Christ. Why does he do that? Why does Christ, why does Pilate bring Christ out to be paraded? Pilate wants the crowd to see Jesus in this state. The charge against him, let's not forget, is that he's claimed to be a king. Pilate wants them to see Jesus and see that this charge is utterly pointless. This is no king. Kings don't look like this. He's battered. He's bruised. Can this individual truly be responsible for the claims to kingship that he says? So in essence, what Pilate's saying is, you know, we've, we've done enough. We've flogged him, we've mocked him, we've done enough. Let's get out of this while we can. And when Jesus came out, still wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, we've reached our second irony. Pilate says, here is the man. The, the ESV version, I, d- I don't come ha- down hard on, on versions, but I do like the, the translation of the ESV here. The NIV has it, here is the man. The ESV has it, behold the man. It's, it's very possible that Pilate had no idea. Just as with the soldiers, hail king of the Jews. But John, the gospel writer, as he took pen to paper, probably wasn't a pen, was it? Took to paper, it wasn't paper, was it? Wrote this down. As John wrote this down, it's very, very likely that in John's head, he is thinking, yes, behold the man, Jesus. Everything that humanity has ever promised to be is found in Christ. Behold Jesus, man without sin, man who had coddled babies on his knee, man who slept in the towns of Galilee, man who walked the same roads that I've walked, John would have thought, the man who healed the blind, man who spoke compassionately to the fatherless and to the widow, man who had a heart for little children, 
a man who preached in the synagogue, a man who studied his Bible, a man who made the lame walk, a man who had spent time on his knees praying to his father, a man who wept, wept when he heard of the news of his friend's death, a man who made the people to sing his praise. And as John writes these words, he must have been saying in essence, yes, behold the man. Here's the irony. He who is all that humanity might be, Christ, is torn down by all that humanity in sin has become. He who is all that humanity might be is torn down by all that humanity in sin has become. Behold him there. I want you to take that scene From here tonight, looking at Christ, Cornerstone Church, behold the man. Behold Jesus Christ. Look to him. Take a step back from the stories that you might be used to, that you might have become numb to, and behold the man. Behold Jesus Christ. So who's to blame? Is it the soldiers? Is it Pilate? Suspect number three, Jewish leaders. Verse six, as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate's attempts at inducing pity have evoked fury. Um, I know that some of us in the room here were part of the Mark drama, and I know that lots of us in the room here um, did happen to see the Mark drama. For those of you who didn't, the Mark drama is the drama of the book of Mark. Um, And towards the end of the Mark drama, you have the characters, the actors, shouting these words. All of the actors, all of the actors are Christians. And all of the actors, all of the actors were able to say how hard they found this. And it was an intense scene. The, the director asked for the scene to go on for an uncomfortable amount of time. That was his phrase. He was very good at making uncomfortable moments. An uncomfortable amount of time. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. I tried to teach for the week after that. I couldn't teach because I'd lost my voice. Shouting, crucify him. And that's exactly what my heart was. That's exactly what my heart was before Christ came into my heart. I lived a life of crucify him over and over and over again. So I praise Christ for having come into my life. That now I might be part of the Mark drama and I might be hurt by the fact that I'm shouting it. Don't crucify my Lord. But the Jewish leaders are shouting it relentlessly intensely over and over again no amount of mocking no amount of bloodshed will quench their thirst they've made their minds up they want christ dead and they want him crucified if christ is found guilty which in their eyes eyes he already is then he's then he is to be crucified Pilate, upon seeing that his attempts to induce pity have failed, responds, verse 6, you take him and crucify him. 
As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power to, a power either to free you or to crucify you? Verse 11, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Second piece of evidence for the Jewish leaders there. They're guilty of a greater sin. Jesus speaking to Pilate says that the Jewish leaders are guilty of a greater sin. He's been flogged, been mocked, been ridiculed. He's seen Pilate's lack of conviction, failed attempts to quench the crowd. And he says, the one who's handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. I think there's, there's really amazing comfort actually in verse, verse 11. Let's, let's read it again. Verse 11. Jesus answered, you have, would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Jesus is fully secure that this is his father's plan. Jesus is fully sure that his father's hand is working behind the scene for his good. I'm... Uh, used it a couple I'm a primary school teacher aren't I yeah <laughs> right the one lesson I hate teaching above the others is DT right why do we why Gillian Keegan why do we make seven and eight-year-olds make a toothpaste box as a part of a DT project it's ridiculous that's not even the worst why, why are we making a mini chair that's <laughs> that that one's horrific but whenever we're doing DT, what ends up happening is you've, you've got one kid who's better than you, and that's annoying in itself. <laughs> but you've got one kid who you think, Which, what lesson have you been a part of? <laughs> and you say to them, oh, can you just go and help so-and-so over there? And what ends up happening is they go over there, and what they can see is this mess. What is before them is a mess. It's a travesty. I don't... Can you help me, Mr. Davis? I come over. Oh, yeah, just, just go over there so I can get lost. Um, and I'll, I'll come and do this. So from their human perspective, all hope is lost. Yeah? But then the teacher comes in, and I go and ask someone else for help. See, can you come over here and help me? And you, pi- you put the pieces back together. Behind the scenes, that hand is working. This child cannot see. There may, be, there may be moments in your life, maybe right now, where all hope seems lost. You know, you think of the, um, the Christians in, in Turkey, don't you? You think of the, the Christians in, in Ukraine. God's hand is moving providentially. God's hand is making sure that his plan is seen through. We see Christ dying a desperate and needy position from a human perspective. But the Father is working all things for his good. And the same is true for us. And then we move on to, to the irony. 
Verse 12. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. The Jewish leaders are relentless, aren't they? They're shouting, shouting, searching for Christ's death. It's the only thing that will satisfy them, they think. They can sense that Pilate is toying with the idea of letting Christ go. So they turn up the heat. If you do this, you will make yourself an enemy of Caesar. If you do this, if you let him go, you will have a very, very powerful enemy. This tactic works, doesn't it? This tactic works. And and I think the irony here, as they say to, to Pilate, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. The irony here is claiming to be friends of God, the Jewish leaders, claiming to be friends of God, they beg for a conviction for the Son of God. And what do they say? Do they say, hail, King of the Jews? Those claiming to be friends of God, the Jewish leaders, what do they say? We have no king but Caesar. What, what do you claim to be? They're claiming to be friends of God, don't they? Are you claiming to be a friend of God? They're claiming to be friends of God whilst shouting, screaming for the Son of God to be crucified. Do you claim to be a, a friend of God while simultaneously in your hearts worshipping idols, seeking after idols, making time for idols? Do you claim to be a friend of Christ's whilst never spending any time with him? Do you strive and strive at work only to neglect meeting with your brothers and sisters? You know, where in your life, and this is a question for all of us, where in your life do you need to repent of claiming to be a friend of Christ while simultaneously crucifying him again and again? So, who's the bad guy? not stinky pete is it the soldiers their cruel flogging and their intense mocking is it is it pilot you know with his spineless convictions with his attempts at inducing pity is it the jewish leaders and they're crying out to crucify him and the fact that they're guilty of a greater sin i'm not here to give you an answer to that question really but i'm here to to say, let's not read these stories as numb bystanders, as dispassionate bystanders, as people who may know this story over and over again. But we need to see our faces in the crowd as if you were putting yourself in that Mark drama, shouting, crucify him, crucify him, over and over again. That's where our faces are. Can you see yourself? Look at the verses. Can you see your heart in those verses? Shouting for Christ to be crucified. Crucify him. Crucify him. That is what your heart was before Christ came into your life. Some of you in this room, that may still be your condition. That you are shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. He's not the king. He's not the king. 
Some of you in this room, you know that your hearts were that. You know that you were shouting, crucify him, over and over again. So it's our duty to, to praise Christ for that work that he's done in our hearts, for that miracle. And to, to quote one of, one of my favorite hymns, and we're singing this, this later. Behold, where's the, where's the words? I don't know. Behold the man with sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. What's it start with there? Behold the man. Are they there? Yeah. Oh. Behold the man upon a cross, my guilt upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice looking out into that crowd. There I am. Call out among the scoffers. He was wounded for me. Wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me. Gone my transgressions, but now I am free. All because Jesus was wounded for me. Ultimately, this is not a theology to be observed and to be learned and to be theory. But it is a theology to be embraced in our hearts. It is a theology to look and to behold the man. It is a theology to look and to behold Jesus Christ. I'm going to give us a couple of minutes now in, in, our, in our own hearts to pray, to have our own response to God, and then Rory's going to come up and, and close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for the things that we have heard tonight. We thank you for lifting our eyes and, and showing us the man, the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you will forgive us for those times when we grow numb to what you went through. Father, we pray that we will see afresh just the, the lengths and the physical pain and the, the verbal pain that you went through before you even got to the cross. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus was willing to have these things done to him because he knew that although these horrible things were happening, you were working for good. Father, we pray that you forgive us for those times where we have willingly rejected you, when we have willingly said that you are not the king, you are not the Messiah, and that you deserve to be crucified. We, we pray that you forgive us for having the voice in the crowd that says, crucify, crucify. The one, the sinless one, who was not guilty of any sin. But we thank you that this was all for your purpose. We thank you that this was all so that you may set us free. And so we pray that you will give us lips that don't say crucify, 
but we have the lips that say praise him. That in our hearts, we don't just say hail in a mocking way, but we hail him as our king now. So, Father, we need your help with this. Help us to see our glorious saviour. Help us to see the glorious Messiah. Help us to revel in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that we will go after him. We will snub the world and we will go with Christ. And so we pray that you help us with this. In Jesus' name, amen.